8 to 10 p.m. The Viewpoint with Ashraf Garda. Well, Greg, thanks for that. Appreciate uh, lots of things happening and lots of people commenting ahead of uh, the next two hours of the show called The Viewpoint. Hashtag SAFM Viewpoint. That's the all-important way to engage with me on social media, Twitter in particular. And then you tag me, Ashraf Ganda, and tag SAFM Radio. And, and I love it when you quote the guests because it means that you, you actually don't forget some important things they're saying, number one. But you're also telling other people to say, hey, check out what this person is saying. So how is this for a quote? The, the acting mayor of, um, of Cape Town's surname is, uh, is Nelson. And the acting premier or rather, the acting premier of Cape Town is Nielsen. And the, let me get that right, the acting mayor of Cape Town is Nielsen. The acting premier of the Northwest now is Nelson. There we are. That's South Africa for you. It's a good way to start the show. We always, as you know now, the big hitter is the first part of the show for an hour, maybe slightly over. We have um, a big hitter, and then we'll talk about the Northwest. That's the big picture coming up from 9 to 10 p.m. But the big hitter today is uh, certainly a big hitter in baseball terms or cricketing terms, I would suppose. Um, we'll let's see him back. He was a political economist, but certainly he's someone who is amongst the most quoted South Africans, I think, when it comes to understanding social political issues uh, in the country. So good chatting to you and good evening, and thanks for giving off your time. <laughs> Evening, Ashraf. Good to talk to you. And I won't meet you shopping today because we're doing something completely different, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. There we are. L- l- let's start, first of all, just a quick thought in terms of your analysis, South Africa 2018, uh, with Cyril Ramaphosa as the president. What's, what's your maybe like a three-line three analysis of our country? Well, I wouldn't swap uh, the country for anyone. Uh, I'm glad I'm a South African, and I'm glad I'm living in South Africa in 2018. It's a very exciting country. Okay, but but having said that, in terms of your analysis of where we are, exciting doesn't necessarily mean a good thing. What's your analysis of where we are as a country? Well, where we are as a country, we, uh, you know, you, you have to look at South Africa uh, in the short term, in medium term, and in long term. Uh, in the short term, I think there's a lot of uh, hope and optimism, uh, but that's where we are in the short term. But, of course, South Africa is an old country, and we have lots of very old problems. Uh, I haven't seen these being touched at all. Uh, so we, we have both optimism and Wait and see. And let's put it that way. Yeah. Are you, you know, are you more optimistic now, post President Zuma, or, or or less optimist? Optimistic. Couple of months now into the new position, you did say it's 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 an exciting country to live in. But but are you more optimistic or less so? Well, I, 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 I tend to take a slightly longer term. Uh, perspective, uh, you know, that's what we political analysts have to do. Uh, we, uh, what happens or on or on Wednesday night or Thursday morning it, it has its effects, but uh, it doesn't shape the future of of a, a big old country like South Africa. Uh, it, it causes a lot of excitement, of course, on social media and in the media generally. Uh, but but the, the the South Africa, as I say, is an old country, and uh, its problems are, are big and old, 
uh, and you need time to solve them. But you have to make the first step. And what I see in South Africa is we always make two, three steps forwards and then another step or two backwards. So, in a way, although it's an exciting place to live in, uh, I don't think we really have uh, imminent solutions. All right. There are many issues we can talk about, and we will, including the economy. That's a very important issue because the economy has a direct impact on the ability of government to deliver. But but let's talk about two things that are very pressing. One, of course, what's going on in the Northwest. You've heard of a of a premier who resigned last night, who didn't resign, who's now uh, said he'll he'll see what what the provincial executive of his province says, and and now there's an acting premier. It's all rather confusing. What do you make of what's going on there? Well, what I make of what's going on is it's a broader question of instability in the ANC. Uh, there's clearly a lot of uh, unstable environment in the way in which the ANC is managing its own affairs, the ANC's own affairs. And, uh, and Northwest is a very good illustration of this. Uh, the president left an important international conference uh, came rushing to South Africa because there were riots in the Northwest. The first question I ask myself is, so we have all these ministers here and the top six or five of the ANC, why does the president have to come and leave an important international meeting? So it gives you, uh, it says that the ANC is panicking uh, and they, they make decisions without really considering them. He then rushes to, to, to the Northwest, and nothing has changed. Um, so so the, the, the NC leadership, I think, is not in full control of its own party. And uh, effectively, what I, what I think we all can see was that the top six of the NC had told the Premier to resign, and he had agreed to resign, but they have been overruled by the Provincial Executive Committee, which says we have to have a say in this matter. So you withdraw your resignation. Okay, so, and, so if, uh, if that is the fact, if, if, if that's the so fact as we see it. What telling us yeah. is, is that the ANC itself is, is, is in kind of disarray of sorts. Okay. If you look at KZN, you find something similar. All right, so if, if that's the fact that the ANC leadership is not in control of its own party, what, what, is, what does that mean in terms of where the ANC sits now and where the ANC may likely be in 2019 if it's not in control of its own party? Well, if, we, if it's not in control of its party, then the voters, the voters are watching. Uh, everybody in South Africa has access to a radio. Uh, others have other sorts of information, but... 100% of the adult age for, uh, population of South Africa, uh, the voting age anyway, have access to, uh, to a radio. So they know what, it, what is going on, and, and they can see that they, they have these huge problems within the ANC, and the ANC leadership is not able to, to get on top of them. So when it kind of, this, this doesn't bode well for the ANC in the coming uh, general elections next year. And, and how then does a, a leadership that, it's, that is not in control of its own party uh, be able to shift things around so they can get in control, get the handles of their own party? Well, that 
I don't know how, how the ANC can, um, what it has to do uh, to get control of the, or, or, of, the, of its own party. Hopefully, uh, there will be less panicking, uh, like we saw with President Ramaphosa panicking and rushing from London, uh, because that just gives the impression to the population in South Africa and to the world at large that South Africa really is unstable and that it only has one leader who can solve its problem, and that's the president, uh, and that it will fall apart if the president uh, happens not to be there. Now, those are the panic messages that that are coming out, and I I think that's not good for the country. So so you're suggesting, in fact, that he's moved to come back from what really was an investment trip to to the UK. Uh, In fact, since, you know, on the one hand, many people said, well, you see, there's a president with with his hands uh, on on the levers of control here, but you're suggesting, in fact, it tactically sends out the wrong message. It sends out absolutely the wrong message which is that there are no other leaders in South Africa other than this one man. That's point number one. Point number two, it sends a message uh, that uh, South Africa is so hugely unstable that a riot in some uh, provincial town can only be solved by the president or it can bring down the country or it can bring down the South African government so that only the president can, can go and solve the, uh, these demonstrations and burning of tires in a, in a provincial capital somewhere in South Africa. So it sent all the wrong sin- signals you could possibly send. Many people listening, many people tweeting, and if you are tweeting, it's hashtag SAFM Viewpoint, so hashtag SAFM Viewpoint. I'll take your calls in about 10 minutes' time. Uh, the number to dial in, not just now, 10 minutes from now, 891 My guest, my big hitter for the night, is uh, Moletsi Mbeki, so we'll talk to him till about 9 o'clock-ish. I welcome your original thoughts as we, as we get him to perhaps uh, give us his thoughts on where we're going with a whole range of issues, not just where we are with the ANC in, in the Northwest as well. In fact, we'll talk about the DA and, and what's going on there with now, should I say, the former mayor of Cape Town, right after this. Ever wondered what a food technologist does for a living? Why do we need a cybersecurity specialist? Want to get a closer look into the fascinating life of a pathologist? Well, watch different careers in action. Catch Made in SA on SABC3, Sundays at 8 a.m. Drop us a message on Made in SA and share your story on our Facebook page. Follow the conversation on hashtag MISA5. Make your future happen. Made in SA. You're tuned to SAFM 104 to 107. You can also catch us on the DSTV audio bouquet on channel 814 as well as online at safm.co.za. At SAFM Radio and at Ashraf Garda on Twitter. And that hashtag SAFM viewpoint when you do comment. Uh, Muletsi Mbeki with me, who's a political economist. He will stay with us as the big hitter up to around nine o'clock. Let, let's talk about what's, what's happening then in, uh, in Cape Town, in particular with the mayor, who's, who's not the mayor any longer, or as, as the acting mayor has now suggested that, you know, she's, uh, she's moved out to the office, she's left the office. What do you make of that whole story? Well, uh, you know, at least you have to give the ANC credit for something, which is that 
the NC decision-making is actually quite transparent. So we can all understand that the top six of the ANC, for whatever reason, they don't like the Premier of Northwest. They make a decision, and then the Provincial Executive Committee of the ANC in the Northwest overrules them, and they back off. So at least we can see that it's all up uh, open. With the DA, I don't think anyone has any clue what is going on, who is making what decision, what is this woman being accused of, uh, what is she charged with, uh, wh- what crimes has she committed. She is supposed to have violated a constitution that was passed after she was charged, and so now this constitution uh, is punishing her uh, passed retroactively, so to speak. So the, the DA is a very opaque organization. That is one of the huge problems. And if you ask any South African, what is Patricia DeLille mm. being charged with and what is she guilty of? The, the only thing I have got, I've gotten is that she said some things on Radio 702, so the party is now kicking her out of the party because of what she said on radio. Now, really, any serious party, uh, you can't expect to be taken seriously to remove a mayor of the second or the third largest city in South Africa just because of, of some uh, discussion on a, on a radio station. So the, the DA is very opaque. So to, to answer your question, what, what is going on in, the, in, in uh, Cape Town and in the DA, the short answer is I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know what, what Patricia DeLille has been charged with other than that she said something on, 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 uh, on radio. Secondly, uh, I had heard that she was charged with corruption uh, many months ago. Uh, that she had uh, used government money to do some security upgrades or whatever to her residence. Uh, this has all disappeared. Now, who is making all these decisions? It's not very clear to me. There is something called the federal executive. Mm-hmm. Now, who is in this federal executive? Uh, and what is the criteria? But, but you see, they may, they may say, does it, does it uh, matter? They may say... Well, the, the DA may say... The DA is yeah. a very opaque organization. Okay, you see, the DA may say that, you know, leaving aside the, the, the ultimate reason for the dismissal, which is she resigned on air, which is just, uh, you know, ra- rather ridiculous on the one end, according to most people, but they may say that the, the issues to to investigate is consistent with the with the DA's stance on, on being anti-corrupt and certainly there to uphold good governance, which is a stance that they've taken uh, in, in, uh, in opposing the former president, uh, President Zuma, all the time. So, I mean, the truth may come out, but they're saying that's consistent with their position and if they have to do so with, an, an, uh, with a DA member, well, so be it. Yeah, yeah, but they, they are not telling us. If, if they are saying Patricia de Leo has uh, stolen money or has uh, used her office to benefit herself, that's what corruption, the definition of corruption. What is this benefit that she has achieved? They haven't told us. What, what benefit has she gained by using her office uh, to, to, be, to benefit herself? Nobody's telling us. At least I haven't had it.
Well, what do you think, and we'll move on because I want to get to some of the callers as well. well let's see, what, what do you think uh, will will happen to the DA without uh, Patricia DeLille and what would happen to Patricia DeLille without the DA? Well, it, it's, uh, it's very hard to say. You know, P- Patricia, uh, people forget she was one of the country's uh, uh, leading freedom fighters. She was... Uh, vice president of one of two liberation movements that were recognized by the United Nations mm-hmm. and by, by, the, uh, by the Organization of African Unity. So Patricia DeLille is no small fry uh, like, uh, you know, some, uh, mayor, some, some of the mayors we have in, the, in this country. She's an important historical figure in, the, in this country. So I guess my my is is that she's too big for the DA and and the the people in the DA who think they are as big as she is uh, are trying to to evict it. Okay, more to come on on that. I'll get to some of the callers uh, in, in a moment. Let's just fast forward very quickly to to what is likely to happen twenty nineteen and that very important election. To, to what's going to happen in 2019? Yeah. Well, I I think you know we 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 have uh, signals already about 2019. Uh, one signal is that the ANC is hugely at risk uh, in Gauteng, uh, in the province, in in winning the province. Uh, secondly, that it is hugely at risk in Northwest Province. And, and and also that it is a risk in KwaZulu Natal also. So you, if if the ANC is at risk in these three major provinces, then it it is telling us that it is a, at risk nationally in in, uh, in in maintaining its majority uh, because of its own internal problems. Uh, that is that, that is the irony of the ANC's problems. It has these huge problems in KwaZulu Natal. It hasn't been able to resolve the splits there. Uh, it looks like it's not able to resolve the problems in Northwest. And then it has lost all the metros, majorities in all the metros in Gauteng, in Ekuruleni, Johannesburg, Swane. I mean, these are huge. Uh, voting pool uh, mm-hmm. populations. The NC has lost majorities in in these three metros. So, so the the question of whether it, it can retain Gauteng, I think, is 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 very much uh, open to doubt. And now, if it loses um, the Western Cape, which it has already lost, uh, and uh, there are threats by the ANC members and leaders in, in Northwest that they won't vote for the ANC if the ANC um, gets rid of, of, of the Premier. So, so they, it makes the 2019 elections pretty unpredictable. Well, well, okay, pretty unpredictable, but we can ask you to predict, will, will the ANC lose power in 2019? Will they get less than 50% as the one thing? And the other is, is would they, even if they get less than 50 would they be able to negotiate in a hung parliament still to retain the power and, 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 and the premiership of the country? It's one of the things that we, I think we learned uh, with the, uh, when the ANC lost the metros 
was that the uh, ANC voters get disillusioned and then they don't vote. Uh, and therefore, the, the, the proportion of the opposition parties increases, not so much necessarily because they they are supported, but because the, the ANC voters uh, don't vote, uh, don't go and vote. So this is a huge risk for, for, for the ANC uh, in the sense that if the, 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 the infighting and the, the inability of the ANC to get on top of it, of its business, uh, it will lead to disillusionment by its traditional voters. So they don't necessarily have to love the DA or the EFF or, or in Qatar or wherever. They will increase because of our proportional representation system. Their proportion of the vote goes up merely because the ANC voters decide to stay at home as long as they are voters, the opposition parties voters. Uh, are motivated to go out and vote. So that is, that's what makes 2019 so unpredictable because we don't know where, uh, if what happened in the last local government which led to the ANC losing uh, the metros in uh, Nelson Mandela Bay and, and in Gauteng, whether that will repeat itself because if it does repeat itself, then the ANC definitely its majority will be huge. Okay, so the, the unpredictability of an election coming up in about a year's time. Let's get callers. My my guest for tonight, my big hitter, is um, Weleti Mbeki, who's uh, already pronounced on a whole lot of, re- lot of issues around the DA and, and Northwest and national politics, and a whole lot more will certainly come up. But I want to get your thoughts. People are tweeting hashtag SAFM viewpoint to call in 891 So what I'll do, I'll take five calls if we can in, uh, in, in this round, and then we'll take some more later. On. Hello, uh, you, you first up uh, from uh, Mokopani. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you. L- look, Ashraf, in, in terms of, um, of, of the ANC, this is, 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 is continuation of, of what Zuma has left in, 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 in this organization. And, and also, uh, in, in regards of, 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 of Supra Mahomapelo, who just pulled some stands here with us and the country and the ANC, again, when the ANC are always trying to fool us or try to convince the people, even themselves, that there is this nonsense called unity among themselves, whereas there's no such thing in the ANC. There's nothing. ANC is so divided, like, I don't know what can I, 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 I give an example to. When I jump to uh, the DA, you know, we can... We can how many black leaders have been um, 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 chucked out by the DA uh, guys there? You know, and, and, and there's no white. There's no white person who has been um, removed by the, the, the DA. Uh, but well, well Helen Zill is not the, not, not the leader any longer, just, just as a point of reference, yeah? Okay, okay. Significant. Okay. Uh, but, 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 but I think that is still, um, still good need to go to court so they can be final. So I think now it's still subject to case. So, uh, 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 so, so, so DA, by, by, by itself, claiming that um, it is, um, his, uh, their process are fair and so forth. Nonsense also. We, we, we know what happened to India. We know what happened to... Uh, 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 um, uh, uh, Helen Zilla. Helen Zilla did not get any punishment from the DA, and then um, uh, Bregelberg never get anything from the DA. Okay. But what 
So uh, it, it, DA is just a mess also, like uh, together with the ANC. So these these two so-called big pol- uh, uh, political parties. They cannot take this country forward. Okay. From well, well, there's the yeah, point. If, if not, if not DA, you. if not the ANC, then who should we try and hazard a guess? Uh, thanks for that call, Sala from Mokapani. Let's get to another call, uh, Mister Mister Malambo from Funda Bale Park. Welcome, welcome to the show. What, what's your viewpoint? Hello, good good evening, Asha. Good, good evening indeed, and, and thanks for calling in. Okay. Yeah, uh, and uh, I don't know whether I mean Mr. Mbeki will be able to answer me this question. And I respect him, and I respect him, Mr. Habib as well. So the first question is, uh, the analyst, who is paying the salary of the analyst? And the second question is, if the analysts are paid by the government, the analysts, are they not supposed to gather the people's sentiments and send to the government to say, okay, right, in this way, because according to the sentiment, this may be the result. Okay. Because now I see from the beginning, uh, his analytic view, Mr. Mbeki, definitely he could do, see exactly what is happening. And the government is doing against that. And now the third again, we don't have any analysts who are paid to skew the, I mean, by the certain party so that when they come online, they'll be uh, ushering the analytic view, which is to manipulate the people's view. The so analytical view is to manipulate. Okay, let's get, some, let's get some thoughts. Thanks for that call. Well, certainly got us thinking. Uh, let me put that to Mulet Becky. Who pays the analyst and, and what is the role of the analyst and to what degree do you need to skew a view so that, that you can impact on, on what happens on, in Parliament? Lots of well, big issues. I wish somebody would pay me. Uh, I mean, I'm spending a whole hour on uh, SAFM, uh, on SABC, totally for free. SABC won't pay me for, even if I send them an invoice. So, so no, nobody pays me. I, I may get paid if I write, for example, for a foreign publication. They would pay me. Uh, I used to be paid by NetBank. I was a, a political analyst for NetBank, and I had a retainer from them. But I, I stopped several years ago from doing. So us, the analysts, uh, I suppose it, uh, for many of us it's a labor of love. Uh, we, it, it, it was, it's our profession, but uh, it produces very little money, but the long and the short is the government doesn't pay us. All right, and and the other important point about the ability of the analyst, and in this case here, not I mean you're giving an opinion now. We, it's up to us to take your opinion, digest it, or or, or or spit it out, right? But but the call is suggesting, in fact, that the analyst's power to influence and and skew thought uh, is 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 incredibly strong in terms of the politics of our country. Do, do you think that's the case? Uh, well, the, the analysts do have an influence, I, I admit that. But to call it strong, I, I think it, it, it's too much. South Africans are, are a very politicized country. So most South Africans know what they think about what's going on in the country. Now, analysts may reinforce one way or the other what they, what they already think. But but I don't think the analysts are as influential as many people think they are. Okay, well, let's leave it at that for now. KGM, welcome to the show from Joe Hi. 
Good evening, Ashraf. Good evening to Mr. Mbeki and the listeners. Thank you. Go ahead. What's your viewpoint? Well, well I hear that he's running away from this uh, notion of analyst. Mr. Mbeki, you need to be honest uh, like you are always. Uh, you know that you guys, <clears throat> you, you are analysts and you are beneficiaries of, of these uh, stories that you, you, you emulate in the media. You might not want to share details with us, but just to, to say... Uh, the, the caller was put on. You guys are getting paid, and you can't tell us whether it's government or whosoever, but one way or the other, you are getting paid. Okay, but, but, but I mean, here's the bottom line, KGM. Does it actually matter? What I'm saying, yes, the check is certainly not in the post for Mouletsi Mbeki today, but but let's say if he's getting paid to, to analyze South African politics uh, in the same way that someone gets paid to write a, a column in a newspaper or host a radio or TV show, uh, what difference does that make in terms of opinion of that person? Once again, Mr. Mbeki is running away from the truth. He is minimizing their power. If they did not have the power of influence, Ashraf, you would not be hosting him as your main guest tonight. You would have picked up anybody from the streets and and, uh, looked for the views from that person. You have Mbeki there because you know of his influence. You know of his power of influence. So the, the power of influence of people who are listening, of the community, of the nation, of even the international communities who would say, who's Mwelethin Beck? He's not just an ordinary South African. He's an analyst. They also look at his political background. They look at his personal background. And that is what matters the most. But my point, Ashraf, for, for, for tonight is this. A challenge to Mr. Mbeki and, and his colleagues. Why is it that you hardly ever talk to the issue of CODESA. Why are you not raising the issue of CODESA? How come 25 years later, none of you as analysts, as, as, as uh, knowledgeable people, you sing to organizations like the ANC, all these political parties, what is so difficult in telling South Africans and the world what the agreement for CODESA was? Why are we in this good status that we say we are in or in this mess that we say we are in as a country as opposed to having the political elite and the, the politically connected telling us that we, we are in the right track that we are agreement, okay. but the overwhelming majority of the people of this country have no cooking clue of what Cordesa was about all right let, let, let's get a response K- kgm thanks for that thanks, 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 thank you for that call kgm from uh, joburg okay uh Influence. I think. I think you've already admitted you have influence. It's it's pretty obvious, right? Yeah. Yeah. No. <clears throat> of course. You know what gives analysts influence is is the research that they do about what's going on in the country. <clears throat> that's what gives them the the influence is the knowledge that they have. But that's based on on, on the on the investigation and the research that they. They, they undertake, they are well-informed, in, in other words. I, I think from my point, it's also the ability to think things through in a way that the majority of South Africans are unable to, and therefore bring it to the fore where we say, wow, we never thought about it. If you do that consistently, you become a, an analyst that gets a massive following, whether it's intended or not. Let's talk about the other issue, the issue of uh, CODESA that, uh, that KGM brought about. Why don't the analysts talk about CODESA? What, what do you make of that? Well, the Ashraf, the issue of CODESA is uh, the students actually are the ones during the the Fees Must Fall movement 
who said that uh, the people of South Africa uh, were sold out by Nelson Mandela, they were sold out by the ANC at Codessa and so on and so forth. Uh, personally, I t- totally disagree with that. Um, you know, w- uh, there was a famous saying, I think it was by, by Mao Zedong, and Mao Zedong said, you cannot win at the conference table what you did not win in the battlefield. Now, we didn't win many things in the battlefield. In fact, there was never a battlefield uh, in the conventional sense in South Africa. There were massacres by the apartheid regime mm-hmm. uh, of, the, of the black people who were protesting. So we couldn't win uh, as the negotiators, ANC, PAC, and, uh, and the others, Kosatu, uh, were involved. Uh, what we hadn't won in the battlefield. So what we won in the, at the table was the best we could do on the basis of our performance in the battlefield. Uh, and those who, who think that you can win more uh, at a conference table than you have won in the battlefield are fooling themselves. Uh, and, uh, and what was negotiated at Codessa was, in my view, the best deal we could get given the relative strength that we had. You know, I have asked, for example, the, the top leaders of the, of the National Party, why do they negotiate when actually they, had, uh, they were in their strongest position? Yeah. The war in Angola had ended, the war in Namibia had ended, the South African army had come back, and the South African army was battle-hardened, and it had its, uh, it had, had its share of casualties, so I asked them, why did you negotiate? They said that's precisely why we negotiated, mm, was mm. because we were in a strong position relative to you and, and in the you, ANC and in PAC. And, and, and do you think that's uh, true? in the UDF and so and on. And do you think if, 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 for example, Angola hadn't fallen and that, that Cold War hadn't ended and, and, uh, and the Soviet Union strength had not subsided, uh, do you think, therefore, with hindsight, the, the Nationalist Party would not have negotiated with the, with the ANC and the PAC and the others because there was no need to do so? over Namibia and Angola, the ANC's army was forced out of Angola to, 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 to Uganda. That's what it, that's, that was one of the outcomes. So, so the, the ANC's position was, in, in, in the military sense, was weak. Now, the internal mobilization was another story, we, we, and which we can go into. But, but the reality is that the, the, the apartheid regime felt it was in a strong position to give quite a lot of concessions, but not to lose control, essentially, of, of the economy, which was their priority. Which, which then brings me on to this very important question. Has apartheid South Africa and the children of apartheid South Africa, which some may say white South Africa, uh, in post that negotiation, have they held on to, uh, I think I'm quoting uh, Ali Mazrubi, have they held on to the crown jewels? Have they held on to, to the real levers of power, which is economic wealth? Well, it, it, it's not that simple. Because in the last 25 years, we've heard the emergence of, uh, of billionaires like Yusuf Ramaphosa's 
I was reading the other day that uh, Saki Makosoma is now a, a billionaire in Australia. So, so it's not as simple as people think. We have the ANC government, the ANC controls the government of South Africa. The South African government has a budget of 1.3 trillion rands. So, so where are the crown jewels? Who, who is sitting on the crown? Surely the ANC is also sitting on the crown jewels, sitting on a budget of 1.3 trillion rands. It's, it's, it's a huge amount of money. So, so they, they, there is a lot of myths in this country that the, the negotiated settlement uh, has not brought any benefits for, for, for the black people of South Africa. That is definitely not true. Uh, we wouldn't have these billionaires like the president of South Africa if there hadn't been uh, a, a favorable settlement for, for, for the uh, right. black South Africa. I'm going to bring in Gerald in just a second. So, so with that in mind, and, and this is an important one as well then, if what you're saying, and I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense, maybe that's the job of an analyst, getting us to think about that. But if what we're saying or what you're saying is true, then, then what are your thoughts about this perception from, from many South Africans that that believe strongly, the outside of what happens in Parliament, that yes, by and large, the position and the lot of white South Africa has not changed at all, and therefore this, this transfer of wealth is almost minuscule. It's actually gone to some of the names you've mentioned, so it's narrow economic empowerment, and therefore broad-based has never, never really happened. What, what are your thoughts around that? And therefore that, that phrase thrown in, white monopoly capital. Yeah, yes, you see people overlook the struggle was never a struggle against white people. It was never a struggle to take the houses of white South Africans. The struggle in South Africa was for universal suffrage and equality between amongst all citizens of South Africa, irrespective of race. That's what the struggle was, was about. Now, there are those who think the struggle should have been about taking the, the wealth or the money or the banks or, or, or whatever. Well, that's not what the struggle was about. If you read the Freedom Charter, if you read the PAC documents, there's nothing like that. Uh, it was never what the struggle was about. It was about equality between the citizens of, of, of South Africa, equality in terms of democracy, equal rights, and so on, it was never to dispossess anyone's uh, wealth I or knowledge or a, deprive other South Africans or of their expertise right, so or anything of that. I, I want to pick up on whether the narrative then has changed or is changing. We'll do that in a minute. Let's get to Gerald from Durban. Gerald, welcome to the show. Hi. Uh, chef, how to my team. Just to comment on your job as a, as a political analyst or commentator, you know, the real concern in this country is supposed to be a functioning democracy. And, uh, you know, citizens need to be encouraged to take responsibility for their votes. So come next year, 2019, we're going to have to choose some sort of leadership. And, you know, what we've seen in the past year and any other country in the world, that if you vote for the corrupt and in the, in the inept, that's what you get. You get the corrupt and the inept, and things can only go south from there. You know, but by this pattern of voting here for the corruption in the we have something unique. We have almost, you know, it's almost two days after an election, there's an immediate breakout of, of, uh, um, of, of service delivery protests. There's huge destruction of public property. And some people think that that's a way to express your opinion in a democracy. 
Well, you know, it's pointless having that because you might as well call it a mob. And if we've seen what's taken place in the Northwest and what took place with the removal of Jacob Zuma, it was really about the mob. There was this underlying comments, both of these people have been called corrupt. Not one charge against him has been laid. Now, I was no fan of Jacob Zuma's, and I'm no fan of the Northwest Premier if he's corrupt. But if he's corrupt, surely he should be charged. He should be charged, and he'll be removed in a process that, that's above board. But, but surely South Africans have got to decide, do we want to live in a democracy, or do we want to be governed by the mob? Okay, Let, let's see that, Gerald. Thanks for, thanks for your thoughts, and certainly getting the rest of South Africa thinking. Moela Timbeki is my uh, guest. Hashtag SAFM Viewpoint. You may concur and agree with the points he's made. Give us a thumbs up. If you don't agree, just do a thumbs down, and you can tweet that anyway, but also add your thoughts too. Uh, re- respond to that, that call uh, from, from Gerald. Uh, I didn't hear. The line wasn't very clear, but from, from the bits I could catch, he is saying that... Uh, the, the the premier of North Wales should be charged, but that, that's what the premier himself said. The premier himself said that if the, he has done any wrongdoing, those who think he is guilty of a crime should go to the police station and charge him. I think it's it's the premier of the northwest and the former premier of the country. But Brian Large, without getting into detail, the 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 overall issue that Gerald is suggesting is that corruption and and maybe the ANC's perceived weak stance against corruption has has cost the country country uh, plenty. W- w- would you concur with that? Yeah, I definitely concur with that. Remember, we used to have an agency here called the Scorpions. I don't know if you remember yes, that. Yes, of course and I the do, Scorpions, yeah. uh, by everybody's account, they were the best agency in catching the corrupt officials, whether politicians or civil servants or whatever. What happened to the Scorpions? The ANC dissolved the Scorpions. At, a, at their conference at Polokwane, uh, the ANC passed a resolution to, to dissolve the Scorpions. So, yes, I agree that that was like opening the floodgates by the ANC for, for anyone who wanted to be, to be corrupt. And the floodgates were opened by the ANC. And, and so, yes, I agree with the caller that the ANC is soft on corruption because obviously a lot of its uh, leaders have benefited from it. Let's then touch on, on this point of the narrative. And I think you were very clear, Willetsi Mbeki, about the ANC. It was never a fight against white people. It is a fight for non-racialism, and that's consistent with the Freedom Charter. And that's what drove so many people to to rallying behind the ANC, even at the time of the election, compared to even the PAC, which was left of, of, of center. Do you get a sense now that the that the ANC and 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 the and the other voices that are being heard in South Africa, that narrative has changed from a non-racial or non-racist South Africa. Yes, you see, I I think uh, we South Africans uh, are, are too uh, well. Understandably, we tend to to see things in race terms. One of the major new development in South Africa has been the emergence of social class amongst the Africans in particular. There's been huge social divisions amongst the Africans. We saw the other day uh, the middle class in Soweto at Protea Glen saying that, you know, 
the squatters are going to devalue the value of our houses. Now, this is a new middle class that is emerging in South Africa that can see uh, that, that their property, which they have made many sacrifices to acquire their property, is going to be devalued. So, so we, we, at least the black South Africans, don't want to see that. That this is a class issue, it's not a race issue. So we like to pretend that there are no class divisions amongst the blacks in South Africa. There are huge class divisions amongst the blacks in South Africa that have emerged. We have a huge class of black middle class, of black elites, but we have a huge class of black poor uh, who, who remain poor. Now, it's not, a ra- it's not about race, it's about class. It's not a, mm. you see, this is what we don't want to admit. This is what the people who call or, or on radio stations don't want to admit, that the middle class in this country, the black middle class, is doing very well, whereas the black poor, uh, 50% of our 17 million people are on government welfare. That's a huge number of people. Well, why are they on welfare? Because they are poor, because they, 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 they are at the bottom of the ladder. So, so here's I the question, why, why are they poor? The people at Frontier Glen who, mm. who have valuable houses are not on, on, on welfare. They are the middle class. Mm. Why, why are they poor? Why, why is this country rich in minerals? Uh, yes, there was issues around apartheid debt, but, but ultimately then appeared to have the, the moral high ground and certainly was looked on favorably by many other countries in the world. Why are, we, why are so many of our people so poor 24 years into democracy? Gosh, Ashraf, now you, you and me, I, I thought our time finishes at nine. Now you started <laughs> on a completely... We can give you, we'll give you 15 minutes extra if you can, okay? We'd be very happy to do that, yeah. Okay, let, let me just explain. I will just touch on one aspect of the poverty, which is rural poverty in this country. We have a huge part of our population which, which, which is living in the countryside. Uh, in the former homelands, if you, if, if, you, if you wish. Now, the way in which the mining industry was established in this country created the migrant labor system. And the migrant labor system takes away the able-bodied men from working on their farms. It takes them to the mines. When they get into the mines, they are paid peanuts. And they have said this themselves over and went on strike. And they've said they are actually paid. And with that peanuts, they are supposed to sustain their families at home in the, in the, in the rural areas. So in a nutshell, the way in which our mining industry was established generated poverty. It destroyed small-scale agriculture. Uh, it destroyed peasant agriculture. And it created a massive pool of poor people. And that's how the mining industry still operates today. And remember, the mining industry is responsible for almost 60% of our exports. So, so it's a very strategic industry, and nobody is willing to touch it, uh, because if you touch it, then uh, the petrol that we have, we won't be able to import it. And 
or we fear we won't be able to import it. Okay. And so on and so forth. More, more to come. If, if you've got a few minutes, we don't mind taking for another 10 minutes or so just after the news. If you've got the time, it would be great if you can. Of course, many people want to talk. And otherwise, I have many, uh, would love to pick your brain quite for all the reasons that we've just mentioned uh, before. And uh, more to come. Maybe that issue of land is something we need to get. Um, we'll let him make his thoughts on right after this. Never miss a tweet. We're on Twitter at SAFM Radio. Ashraf Garda on SAFM. So our big hitter, as for all those that discuss the influence of analysts, is uh, Mwiletsi and Becky. He'll stay with us, in fact, till about quarter past nine. So we're very appreciative uh, of that. Let, let's then talk about the land issue. What do you make uh, of, of what has not happened for 20-odd years and what has happened since December to now? Well, uh, actually, the, the land issue, in my view, is a camouflage for attacking the white population in South Africa. Uh, it's presented, that is the camouflage. Uh, it's, it's not at all about, uh, about redistribution of land. Uh, and those who are saying they want to, to, to expropriate the land, they have not shown us what, what, they, what they are going to do with this land once they take it. Ashraf, I had the good fortune of being a journalist in Zimbabwe in the 1980s. And one of the, 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 the issues I reported on was on a program that was negotiated between the liberation movements in Zimbabwe and the British government uh, in, the, in the 1970s uh, when they were negotiating the, the, the independence of, of, of Zimbabwe. The, they had an agreement which worked very well. Uh, the agreement was that the British and the Zimbabwean government will go 50-50, buy land from the commercial ma- market, and then redistribute that land to landless, and this was the agreement, to landless people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So from a big part of the 1980s, and I reported on, on this, this was implemented as per the agreement. But somewhere around about... Uh, 87 or thereabouts, what the Zimbabwean government started doing, the ZANU-PF government started doing, was giving land to ministers instead of the agreement which had said the landless people must get the land. They started giving the land to, 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 to ministers. I know Mugabe's sister, for example, got a farm for under, this, under this program, but she wasn't a landless peasant. The consequence, the two governments fell out. Mugabe, when he then lost an election in 1990, uh, a referendum to the opposition movement for democratic change, he thought to himself, oh, if I make propaganda and say the white man is holding on to the land, uh, this will make me win elections. Mm -hmm. So he went out and and uh, and took the land for... What has happened to, the, to Zimbabwe as a result? We have millions of Zimbabweans living in Botswana, in England, in South Africa, in Australia. He destroyed the economy of Zimbabwe. All right. Hey, having said that, you, 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 your specific point is the land issue is a camouflage for attacking the white people of South Africa. Yes, now, 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 two things. It it's, it's, it's a, a camouflage, camouflage by, by, by exactly who? Exactly like it was under Mugabe in Zimbabwe. And ironically, the irony of Zimbabwe, I have friends, Zimbabwean friends who are living in South Africa 
who were farm owners. They were, com- they were owners of commercial farm, black Zimbabweans, and their land was taken also. Okay, but my, my question is, if it's a camouflage, then it's a camouflage by who? W- would it be the ANC? Would it be the, D- would it be the EFF by who? The ANC at Nazareth, which passed that resolution. It's a camouflage by the EFF, which has been promoting this. And, and what would their motivation be? They think that the people who, who, who didn't vote, the ANC voters, who did not vote for the ANC in the uh, 2016 local government election, they think they can mobilize them to come back and vote for the ANC through an anti-white campaign. That's the purpose of it. Through, okay. And EFF, EFF, it has it got six percent of the vote in 2014, and another two or three. So they think by a, an anti-white campaign, it will make them into a, a much bigger party than what they are. And, and so that is. And why here's the million-dollar question: the Would the it. would the ANC be be right if you if we agree with what you're saying? Would they be right? Would they mobilize the numbers to up their votes uh, 2019 with that campaign? And would the EFF be right to raise their numbers from 6%? 8 to 10 p.m. The Viewpoint with Ashraf Garda. So the second half of the show is about the big picture, and the big picture is about the Northwest trying to make sense of the resign, not resign, as we've seen from yesterday to today. We'll we'll start that in about ten minutes' time because we still have our big hitter, who's uh, Moleti Mbeki, with us, and uh, grateful that he will spend that another ten minutes or so with us. Right? Some of the SMSs we've we've got um, uh, spot on Moleti uh, Mzanzi, a people will shall always get a government they deserve. That comes from uh, Wetshutile. Uh, this analyst is spot on. The truth always hurts. Ramaphosa is trapped in the mess created by Zuma in the ANC. Um, I'm just going to read them. If, if something's worth answering, we'll get it. Uh, and the country, Ashraf in the Kuraleni, Israel Gauteng, the ANC was saved by the PAC. Your guest is correct, coming from Ma Africa, who we chatted to yesterday as well, which is really great. Uh, we are like those who were promised land of milk and honey. All these things happening uh, is the process to the right route that the Madiba plant for everyone to be equal. Believe me, you, we are on the right track. The obstacle for us to be there on time is tenders and labor brokers from Alex in uh, Mokopani. Um, and uh, there's quite a few tweets. I can't go through all, but I'll check it out. Hashtag SFM viewpoint. Uh, the country is in a complete state of anarchy. Big time. New president, a disaster. A state of emergency must be declared from TLC. Mr. Becky, please open your own party. We will support you. You will then lead our wonderful country uh, to true freedom and prosperity for all our people from Peter in Wentworth in Durban, the middle class, and others pay taxes to help uplift the poor. Has that happened with the ANC government? Where's the money gone to? Can Moletsi comment? Not sure we can have time for that from Tembi. Uh, tell Moletsi to get his facts right. The referendum was in 1990, not in, uh, was, was, was not in 1990, as he claims. And there's a couple more tweets. But perhaps let this pick out on, on some interesting things um, around that. One uh, would, would be the issue of uh, let's take your your involvement in a political forum. W- would you be interested in formal politics? You've been asked often. I know that. In fact, we okay. all my life in the in the ANC, and uh, and when we had disagreements many years ago, I supported. Uh, 
Tara Lakota and Basu Mashilowa to set up COPE, and uh, and that turned out into a disaster. <laughs> so I've learned my lesson <laughs> in South African politics. I'm not really interested. In, All right. What what uh, what about that point? What about the point that the country is in a state of anarchy? Would, would, would I mean? There's been there's been a spate of of civil protests, as we know that around service delivery, uh, and and just about every one of them has turned violent and very very violent. How, what, what do you make of that? Okay, I think the, to say the country is in a state of anarchy is an exaggeration. However, we we do have. A, a massive, poor, underprivileged population in South Africa. And this population has been trying very hard to be heard. It has been voting for the ANC. Uh, one of these opinion uh, survey companies did an analysis of who voted for the ANC uh, in the 2014 election. And they found that nearly 40% of the people who voted for the ANC uh, were looking for work, which meant that these were unemployed unemployed people. So the, the unemployed people have had a lot of belief in the ANC that the ANC is going to solve their problems, and, and it is turning out that it isn't really solving, and it is now starting to sell them a mirage like expropriation of land without compensation and so on and so forth. So, so I understand fully why people get very angry, get very frustrated after supporting the, the ruling party for 24 years, uh, and now they are being taken for a ride with things like expropriation of land with, with, without compensation and other promises of, of, of that nature, which are totally meaningful for sol- meaningless for solving their problems. So it doesn't add up to anarchy, <clears throat> but it adds up to, uh, yes, we, we, we are a very turbulent country, uh, especially in our urban areas. And that is true, but it doesn't mean the country. Okay, having said that, I mean, what what advice, if what advice, if you could give to the president in terms of of quelling these these uprests, uh, these uprisings, right, and these protests, maybe that's a better word, uh, and to ensure they're not violent, but they also are are given that sense of hope they don't have right now. Yes, uh, you know, Ashraf, we we we've had democracy for twenty four years. And if after 24 years, half of our population is unemployed, our official unemployment is 27%, uh, and the the, the broader unemployment is nearly 40%. Now, how can people who are living in the shanty towns, I drive through Dipswood every time I, I go to Pretoria, and this is a freezing cold country in the in the winter, and people are virtually living in 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 the in the felt, in the open felt. How can how can they say after 24 years that they have hope that things will look different? So, I I understand why they don't think there is any hope. All right. So so what what would they need to hear then? What what would a a a statesmanlike leader tell them? Well. well a statesman-like leader, they, they don't want any more promises. They want to see action. So why are we unable 
to house the people in deep throat in proper housing? Why are we unable to house the people in Kailicha, in Cape Town, in proper housing? It's not that we don't have the money. We do have the money in this country, but the leadership is missing, and it is not, uh, and the political will is also missing. And that and that is the problem that we're sitting with. You, 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 you've been on record as suggesting that President Ramaphosa is no great saviour, which, which uh, many people sort of bind to say, well, he's the great saviour replacing President uh, Zuma, right? You, explain why, why you say that. Well, I, I don't really believe that South Africa's problems can be solved by individuals or an individual. Uh, we, we are a society. We, we are not... A collection of of individuals, and as, and as a society, we have to make collective effort. How was apartheid regime forced to the table? It was forced to the table not because of of one individual. It was forced to the table because of the millions of South Africans who said apartheid is bad, and they went out to the street. They made the sacrifices eventually. The, the, the declared regime had to go to the to, to go and negotiate. So the notion that there is an individual who who can solve South Africa's problem is one of the mirages, and that's what leads to disillusionment because uh, people, including I must say us in the media, we hype that oh Cyril is such a uh, a great man, he's such a savior, he will save everything, and then he himself starts to believe this. So when there is some unhappiness in my king, oh no, he must fly from London. Only he can come and solve the problems of Northwest and my king. Well, we, we have the chairman of the ANC, he was here, where we had the, the secretary general of the ANC, Ace, he was here. Why didn't they go there? But, but Cyril is now believing that only he can solve South Africa's problems. Are we are we are we lacking in in depth and breadth of leadership in our country, irrespective of, of which political parties we're talking about? Well, you know, these are the, these are very <laughs> difficult uh, questions to answer. Um, I think South Africa is like any other country. You know, we we have a, a, what they call a, a bell. Uh, and graph. Uh, you, at, at two ends, you have uh, maybe poor uh, people who are not as gifted, and then as somewhere you have many gifted people. You know that. that you know what I, what I'm talking about. South Africa has talented people. I mean, we 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 have South Africans all over the world uh, who are doing all sorts of you know incredible things. I mean, look at, for example, Tencent. Let's mm-hmm. take this Chinese company, yes. Tencent. Mm-hmm. Who owns a third of Tencent? A South African company. They saw the opportunity. They had the leadership, and they bought for next to nothing because Tencent was worth nothing. And today, the company is worth billions and billions and billions of dollars. So we, we have the people, but the political will in the ANC is not there to address the problems of economic growth in this country, the the challenges of of poverty. Uh, For example, the rural population, 
what investment has South African South African the ANC government made in the in the rural areas? We have children falling into in, into pit latrines, but if the ANC went to the private sector and went to the construction companies and to the insurance companies and say, you build the school, mm. we will run them from you, and 20 years from now, they will be ours. In one year, these pit latrines would be wiped out. Why, why they don't do you, have the will to, to, to do it. And, and why, why, Mulitsi, why, why do you think they don't have the political will? Because I'm suggesting the best way to stay in power is to serve as deliver. If they lack the political will, they will not serve as deliver, which is the quickest way to get yourself out of power. Why, why would, even for their own selfish reasons, why would they not want to do that? I, I wish I had an answer, Ashraf. But let me just, I was giving you an example. Mm. I used to be a partner in a construction company, and we built a massive prison in Louis Trichat, in what was then Louis Trichat. The government did not spend a single cent in build. This This is a 3,000-bed prison. It was all built by the private sector, financed by the private sector. It is run today by the private sector. All the government has to do is to rent beds in that prison, and, and that's how the, 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 the thing operates. Why don't they do the same thing with the schools? They could do the same thing with the schools. The private sector, the government designs the, the school. The private sector builds it. The government rents the, 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 the school from the private sector. And then 20 years from now, it takes over. The school reverts to, to become government prop. It's not rocket science. It has been done in South Africa uh, but they don't want to do it for the schools. All right, we, we're going to wrap up in maybe three minutes. I see you enjoy talking as much as I enjoy asking you questions. <laughs> Let's see, Becky. But, but, but maybe that brings us to this next point. In terms of the, the nature of our economy, which is largely capitalist, right, and there has been growing calls for us to move towards what was the original plan, which is largely socialist. What, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, that was never the plan, uh, of certainly not of the ANC. Uh, it may have been some plan of the Communist Party, but the, the Mandela made it very, very, very clear way back in 1956, after the Freedom Charter was passed, that the purpose of the nationalization clause in the Freedom Charter is not to build socialism, but to force the monopolies to allow black capitalists to also emerge. That was what Mandela himself said. So, so the, the notion that the ANC wanted socialism is, is a fantasy which mm-hmm. I don't know where it comes okay, from. Okay, so ha- having said that then, what then would be the, the ideal model, economic model for South Africa, considering we have uh, swathes of poverty-stricken South Africans uh, and, and, and the minority of people who are extremely wealthy, that well-known Gini coefficient, what, what then would be the right model? Well, if you look at how uh, the Chinese, for example, China was a very poor country 30, 40 years ago, and everybody there was poor. But they opened up the economy and they provided security for investors both Chinese investors and international investors there. Uh, and, of course, China 
under the communist regime had a very good education system. They have multiplied that education system many times. You know, at any one year, China has over a million students studying outside China, let alone the ones mm, studying mm, in mm, China, mm, because they are investing in the future of their country. We want to eat now and to drive the shiny cars and those kinds of things and not to invest in our own country. That is at the heart of the problem. That's what I mean by lack of political will. We want to leave now those who have the political power and and they are not willing to make sacrifice and therefore to invest, for example, in the schools that they should that we should be investing in in the in a quality education that we should. All right. Be the, the the last last thing to you then. Do we have a race problem? Twenty eighteen. No, South Africa. The United States has a race problem. We don't have a race problem. No. The the United States policemen are killing black people in the United States. That's why you have a movement called. Uh, Black Lives Matter. There are no black policemen in South Africa killing white South African citizens. So USA has a race problem. We we don't have a race problem, if I if I understand what you're saying. And I, I heard your context right. Having said that, there there is a sense that we are growing apart. Do do you concur? And and what advice would you give to? the thousands of people listening today, and hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll pass that message on. Ashraf, I, I, you see, we, this is why I was complaining that now <laughs> you keep introducing topics which require <laughs> a lot. Uh, a one-liner is not a solution. To, mm-hmm. uh, the great majority of South Africans rejected apartheid. Why? Because they rejected racism. Having rejected apartheid and having... Remember, when we had the elections in 1994, the National Party had been in power, I don't know, for 90 years nearly. And but who, who, and it, it had been in control of SABC. It had been banning newspapers, closing down newspapers. It, it had been in control of making of, 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 uh, opinions in this country. But what happened at the, at the election? The people voted against the National Party. So, so, so this is the point I'm making, is that South Africans have seen what racism does, and they have rejected it. And Mandela himself repeated that he was against white racism, but he was also against black racism. And the people of this country agree with him. That's why Mandela is an icon in this country. It's because we support the South African citizens are opposed to racism, whether it's by the blacks or by the whites. And maybe that's a good way to, to end it. We will not introduce another topic. Well, let's see, Becky, appreciate your time. Uh, thank you for that. Um, uh, yeah, and, and I'm sure there'll be lots of further comments, certainly on social media, hashtag SAFM Viewpoint. Couldn't go through all of it, but, but certainly appreciate that. Thank you for your, for your insights. And you certainly got us thinking indeed there's a whole range of issues uh, that uh, Moletsi Mbeki has uh, has put forward uh, and each one of them effectively represents a mini debate in its very own right well the debate about the future of northwest 
is important. We talk about that. It's our big picture story right after this.